And it'll be helpful to you have your Bibles open to the text, Mark 8. When you read the commentaries about this passage, there's a great deal of discussion as to whether this passage is really just a, a warmed up version of the feeding of the 5,000. That maybe somehow Mark was confusing two events and so he's just making two events that really happened once and he just put one early on and then one here. I don't think that's the case, but quite a few commentators argue over whether that's true. There's also, interestingly enough, a lot of discussion about the numbers in this passage. And is there another meaning to some of these numbers or um, an additional meaning? In other words, when Jesus came in Mark chapter 6 and he fed the 5,000, how many, how many baskets were left? Twelve. And if you remember that particular feeding, remember he was trying to go across the lake and, the, and people who saw him were coming around and it was this big Jewish uh, sort of uprising. These people were, were finally ready for a king to come in. And this group of 5,000 men, how many, know, how, many, how many women and children, nobody knows. But it was a, a huge Jewish gathering. And he's, he's talking to these Jewish people and he's feeding them this bread. And there happens to be 12 baskets left over. And some people think the 12 is symbolic, like the 12 tribes of Israel that... Perhaps Jesus was making it 12 so that people could understand, the Jewish people could understand that the Messiah has come and He's going to give bread to all of His people. And then again, in Mark chapter 8, we have this feeding of the 4,000, primarily Gentile people. We're in the Decapolis now. We've, we've gotten to a, a mostly the, the Greek-speaking Gentile area. And there's seven baskets left over. Seven in the Bible is a number of completion or fulfillment. You might think about the seven days of creation. You might think about the the seven churches in Revelation or the seven lampstands. And so this number maybe has some other meaning here, meaning that Christ not only came to feed the Jewish people, but he came to feed the Gentiles as well. And he himself is complete for both. You'll notice in Mark chapter 8, verse 14. They get into the boat and they had forgotten to bring bread. And then it says, well, they only had one loaf with them in the boat. And some people think that Mark is saying they really didn't have any bread. And then he sort of adds, well, there really was one loaf in the boat. It wasn't a a loaf of bread. It was Jesus Christ. He was the loaf. He was the one that the whole world could feed off of. And I think some of these things have some weight and merit. And they're very interesting little clues, perhaps. But I think the thrust of the passage here is about the disciples and the fact that somehow they can't get the right understanding about Jesus. Can you really imagine? I mean, it seems when we read the passage, it's, it's absurd sort of in the extreme. It seems laughable that here, you as a disciple, you've been in this one event where 5,000 or however many more people were fed. Miraculously, you were sort of the catering crew that Christ used. 
He gathered you up and said, okay, guys, let's start handing out this bread. And you just noticed it just kept coming and it kept coming. And we just kept feeding. We had this giant picnic. And then here, just uh, sometime later, we're, we're with 4,000. And the same thing happens. He's able to take some very small amount and multiply it all again. And right on the heels of that, the disciples get in the boat and they're becoming frustrated because they only have one loaf. What are they going to do now? And it seems almost absurd that they could possibly miss Jesus is the thing that they need. And as long as they have Jesus, everything else is going to be okay. But they can't seem to get their minds wrapped around or really understand who Jesus is. They, they can't yet see Him. It says in John chapter 6, after the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus even explained Himself. I tell you the truth, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven. Remember that? The manna from heaven that was coming down. But it is My Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven. So somebody's coming down from heaven and gives His life to the world. And then Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I'm that person. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never thirst. And yet somehow the disciples can't quite see it. That Jesus is the one greater than Moses. That Jesus is the, the bread for the whole world. And I just kept asking myself this week, why is it that the disciples who have seen Jesus perform these miracles who watched him forgive a man for his sins and then told the man to get up and walk, who who've watched him walk on the water. How is it possible that they can't see Jesus? I mean, did Jesus sort of just, by bad luck, pick the densest 12 men on the earth? And he just kind of got stuck with his crew? And golly, anybody else could have seen it except for these 12. You almost begin to think that way. And so I'm asking myself this week, why can't the disciples see Jesus? Second thing I'm thinking about is these warnings that Jesus gives. Beware, watch out. He has this curious pairing, the Herod and the Pharisees. And then how do we get a vision adjustment? I mean, if we can't see Jesus, what is it we can do to see Him? How can we focus our vision? So why is it the disciples can't see Jesus? What are these warnings all about? And then how do we get a vision adjustment? First of all, why can't the disciples see Jesus? I think the reason the disciples can't see Jesus is because they're stuck or they're trapped on the surface of their life. They just can't seem to get off the horizontal. Every time it comes to a situation, they always evaluate it from the horizontal. I don't know if you've ever been to some place like the Bahamas and you've had a chance to snorkel. And you're on a boat and you see, you can see a lot in the water, but you can't see much from the surface. What do you have to see? What do you have to do in order to see what's under the surface? You have to break the surface. And I remember being in the Bahamas and you could see all kinds of glittering things and everybody anxious to get over the side of the boat. And you dive in and you see all kinds of fish and sea turtles and coral and, and life is teeming all around you. But yet if you stay above the surface, 
If you never really go below the surface, you never really realize it. And it seems to me as we walk through Mark that the disciples can't ever quite get off the surface. Even as important as the issues are, they can't quite see Jesus because they're stuck on the central part of their lives like their safety. Remember in Mark chapter 4, the great storm is coming. And what happens right before they go, go see Jesus? They fear for their lives. And they come to Jesus and they say, don't you care about us? Do you see what happened? They're stuck on the surface. Christ, Almighty God, is in their boat and they're concerned first about their lives. Now, I don't want to say that's unimportant, but do you see how that's stuck on the horizontal? When they come to the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus says, well, you give them something to eat. And then they first, somebody pulls out their you know, at Greek calculator. And they say, well, gosh, 5,000 times this. You know how much that's going to cost us? Eight months wages. And they're all digging in their pockets saying, well, I don't think we can just come up with that on the spot. They're worried about their position. Jesus goes, and we'll talk about this in a few weeks, He goes to the Mount of Transfiguration. And whatever happens there, it was glorious. And he comes back down and he begins to tell his disciples that he's going to be crucified. And his disciples are in the back going like this. Who do you think is going to be the greatest? I think I'm going to be greater than you. They're completely stuck on the surface. They've seen the transcendent Lord transfigured in some way, and yet when they get into discussions, they go, I think I'm going to be a little bit better than him. I'm going to be in first place. You're going to be in third place. You're down at the bottom. Sorry. They have this discussion about who's going to be in control. Who's who's going to be the most powerful? Remember the Garden of Gethsemane? Jesus has clearly said what he's come to do. And as soon as he gets arrested, what happens? What does one of his disciples do? Cut off his ear. As if this tremendous spiritual battle is going to be won by a sword. They just get stuck on the surface. And so I kept asking myself, is it possible to imagine someone spending the little time they have here on earth trapped on the surface? Consumed by their own health. Captured by their financial situation. Spending their life constantly posturing for position. Who's better? Who looks better? Who's more athletic? Who's funnier? We're struggling for power. My voice needs to be heard. People need to follow what I'm telling them. I know what's right for me, and I know what's right for everybody else. Is it possible that people could be concerned by those little things and miss Jesus? Well, I didn't want to be too hard on the disciples at my conclusion. I didn't want to think the disciples were quite so dense after all because I found myself saying, these are the kinds of things that trap me on the surface. Isaiah says this, Isaiah 6 the, the seraphs are calling to one another. You remember this? They're, they've, they're seeing God's holiness 
And they're reminding each other. They don't need to remind God of His holiness. He knows all about it. But they're looking, they've looked at God and they're looking at themselves and they're calling out to remind each other. And He's saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. And I wonder if it's possible. The word glory here means weight. Is it possible to be so trapped by the surface struggles of your life and fail to see the eternal weight that right here, right now, is filling the whole earth? Is that possible? I wonder if you're stuck on the surface today. I'm not trying to minimize your financial position. I'm not trying to minimize your health. But there's something transcendent about Christ. And I wonder if you've just bypassed that glory this week by being stuck on the surface of the issues of your life. Jesus doesn't want us to be stuck on the surface. He wants us to have the right approach to Himself. And so He gives these Warnings. Verse 15. And he cautioned them. They're they're sitting in the boat. They're a little bit frustrated, perhaps, about, well, I thought you were going to bring the bed. Well, you told me you were going to bring the bed. You ever have that kind of discussion in your car with your spouse? Well, you told, well, no, I didn't hear that. You said, and something's going along. And Jesus sort of enters in and he picks up that they're talking about bread. And he says, now watch out. Very strongly, beware. It's like Jesus is waving the flag saying, this is going to capture you. It looks like it's capturing some of you right now. So beware. Watch out. Apparently there are are two easy tracks to take to follow in your life. And taking either one of those tracks, you completely miss Jesus. And the tracks are the tracks of Herod and the tracks of the Pharisees. And he likens it to yeast. I don't know if you know too much about yeast. I happen to like to bake bread, which is unfortunate if you're on the, you know, all protein diet. But I'm on the all carbohydrate diet, so it's great for me. And so I like to make bread. And what happens is you have all this dough and Morgan and I usually knead it and all this kind of stuff. And then you take a really tiny amount of yeast. Have you ever opened up one of these packages? Little tiny balls of yeast. They spill out and usually you can't get them all in the bowl. It's kind of frustrating. And you knead it through the dough. And so you have a lump. Maybe it's the size of your fist. And you put it in a bowl. And you cover the bowl. And if you wait long enough, it just blows out over the bowl. It's really fun. It, it, it just increases in volume. But you know what it doesn't increase in? It doesn't increase in weight. It looks impressive, but as soon as you put your finger in it, it just collapses. Something small, Jesus is saying. Something very tiny. Perhaps something you can't quite see or you think, that's so small, it's not really going to have a big impact. can eat away at your life. And it eats away in this way. It looks impressive. Everyone else might actually adore you for it, but it doesn't add any weight 
to your life. Only one thing adds weight to your life. You know what that is? The glory of God. That's the only thing that adds weight. And he's saying, watch out. You're going to go down these paths and you only need a little bit. You don't need a lot. And I want you to beware. I want you to beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. Herod, you remember, just if you turn back a couple of chapters in Mark, you would see Jesus' discussion about Herod. And he's the person who takes all of his talents and God-given gifts and uses them for his own pleasure. He takes all the resources that God has given him and he just uses them for his own pleasure. You remember what Jesus was talking about for Herod? He, he threw this great banquet and he, he had great wealth and he invited all of his friends over and there was a big dinner party, men. And you know who he invites as the sort of the uh, barroom erotic dancer to the party? His own daughter. And so these men, Herod included, are enjoying this dance. Enough that sort of in a, a boastful, braggadocious way says, Honey, half the kingdom could be yours. Whatever you want tonight, you've been so entertaining. And he says, and she says, I'll take John the Baptist's head on a platter, thank you. And Herod doesn't want to comply, but he's so afraid of his friends, he's so protective of his self-image that he's willing to let go of what he thinks is right. And so he has John the Baptist's head on a platter. Well, most of us, if we were thinking or saying, <laughs> I'm no monster like Herod. But you remember, it's not Herod, it's the yeast. You don't need to be just like Herod. Do you have just a tiny pinch of Herod in you? It's just... One website, Paul. I don't frequent it very often. Oh, it's not the best television show, but I mean, it's got some good parts in it. Oh, I know there's great needs in the kingdom, but I gotta have just one more pair of shoes. I gotta have a bigger house. I've gotta have a, a few more toys. You see, that's the little yeast. And you and I look at that and say, well, it's just not that big of a deal. And Jesus said, it's going to eat up your whole life. It doesn't look big right now, but left on its own, it balloons up. And for a moment, it makes you feel good. It makes you look impressive. But if you just poked a hole in your soul, all the air would come back down. And you would be nothing. You would have no weight. Because only one thing has weight. That's the glory of God. So beware. You've got to take notice. Or you could be like the Pharisees. We've talked quite a bit about them. The religious elite, the morally upright. These are people you'd want to have in your community. You'd want them to join your team in some way. They're careful about following the traditions of men. They look, they work hard. They have good behavior. They make sacrifices. But they're doing it all to please themselves. 
you remember the story I was thinking about this parallel, the story of the prodigal son or the we might say the prodigal sons? I think there's a parallel here between the Pharisees and Herod and the prodigal sons. Remember what the youngest son does? He takes all of his father's wealth and what does he do? He, he spends it all on himself. Prostitutes and parties and, and big things. And, and for a moment, he looks big and he looks impressive. And all kinds of people are coming around him. And then somebody tucks a hole in his soul. And he's nothing. And he ends up feeding pigs. Just like Herod. But who was the other prodigal son? Remember this? The older son? He stuck with it. He stayed around. He did the work in the field. And when the younger son comes home and they have this great party, the older son comes in from the field and he says this, When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called to one of the servants and asked him, what's going on? The servant said, your brother has come home. Your father has killed the fatted calf because he's come back safe and sound. And the older brother became angry and refused to go in. You see, both sons are outside. And the father has to go outside and get both of the sons. In the first case, he runs to the youngest son. In the second case, the oldest son, who he's kept his way. He's done what he should do. But he's not coming into that party. So his father went out. Amazing, amazingly, his father went out and pleaded. This is the answer his father got. Look! All these years I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a goat to celebrate with my friends. You see what he what exposed is exposed in his heart. He doesn't really want God. He wants the things God can give him. And he thinks he's going to get those things by doing what's good. And because he's done what's good, when he stands before God, he's going to be demanding. You owe me. I'm the one who took the nursery when nobody wanted to take it. I'm the one who's making all the sacrifices. I don't see any of these saps around here doing anything. I'm giving my money sacrificially. I show up every Sunday, and you're not coming through for me. And you see, both are lost. Both have have puffed themselves up, and for a moment, whether it's pleasure and looks good, or whether it's good works and it looks good for a moment, it's air. A little tiny bit of yeast has gotten into your soul. And Jesus says, watch out. Do you see? Do you perceive that the only... Do you see? Do you perceive that the only real weight 
in this world and the next is the glory of God. Do you see that? Are you captured on the surface? Are you, are you got a little bit of the Pharisee or the heresy working into your soul? It's air. And I want to ask you, do you see the only weight in this world and the next is the glory of God? And only His glory, only His weight can pull you all the way out of the grave. All the way out of your self-righteousness. All the way out of your pleasure-seeking. To close, I'll just mention two brief things. How do you... How do you get this vision adjustment? I mean, I'm afraid you're sitting here like I'm standing here going, Wow, I think I'm trapped on the surface. I'm no Pharisee, but I've got a yeast. I'm not like, I'm not as bad as Herod, but something's working in my soul and how how do I get this vision adjustment? And I want to mention two things. One, you and I have to be melted continually by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's, that's got to be a focus for you every day. Or, or this little yeast begins to enter in to your life. How is it that the bread came down and fed all of the people? What had to happen in order for all the people to be fed by the loaves? The loaves had to be broken. They had to be, it, they had to be torn apart. In order for you to have nourishment, to get you to heaven. Christ has to be torn apart on your behalf. And you and I have to meditate on that. We have to remember it. We have to think about it. We, we have to be captured that Jesus is dying the death that you and I deserve. So that we won't be forever trapped, captured or trapped on the surface. You see, Jesus Christ came to die for unrighteousness and self-righteousness. He came to die for both of those. He came to die for Herod and the Pharisee. And once you understand that, you realize there's a whole new leadership structure in the church. It's, it's no longer being like the Pharisee. It's no longer being like the Herod. It's being like Christ. You're not somehow taking these two and say, I need to split the middle. You're taking these two and say, I'm tossing those aside and I'm going for something completely different. And Jesus says in Mark 10:45, I have come to serve, not to be served. So, so one of these places we have to have it a vision adjustment. You have to have it every single day. Is you have to think about Christ 
and the cost of the cross every day. The second thing, and there could be many more, but I think Jesus does this well for the disciples in the text, is you have to have somebody who's willing to speak the truth directly into your life. You have to have somebody who's going to look at you in the eyes and say, You're not getting it! Do you not have eyes to see? Do you not have ears to hear? You're stuck on the surface. And plead with you to see something that's different. To see Christ. You see, you have to have people around you to help you remember. I don't know if you've ever been in this situation where you feel like, I'm just, lo- I'm just sort of losing it in my world. I've just gotten consumed by some payment or, or some issue and I don't want to take those out of your life. I'm just saying, you just sort of get consumed and I, I just pray that you have this person in your life. You can go to them and say, just tell me about Jesus. Just give me some eternal perspective on my life because I'm just stuck here on the surface. I'm just captured by it. It's got a hold of me and I need somebody to come in and look me in the eyes and say, Paul, it's not about the building. It's about Jesus. Remember that? Paul does this for Timothy very well in 1 Timothy 6. He's encouraging Timothy. Timothy is probably timid. He's young. He's been given this great charge in this church in Ephesus. And he needs a tremendous amount of encouragement. And Paul writes two letters to him to help encourage or bolster Timothy, his disciple. And he says this in 1 Timothy 6. Timothy, we brought nothing into the world. We're not going to take anything out of it. Do you hear that? Timothy, I know you're running a church. But remember, you didn't bring anything in and you're not taking anything in. Let's get some eternal perspective on your life. See, if we have food and clothing, we can be content. You don't need all the other whistles and bells. You don't need all the toys. You don't need to be puffed up and look big for everybody. You don't have to have the right clothes and the right car. We're just not dealing with that, Timothy. Remember, food and clothing, that's enough. You see, Timothy, people who want to get rich, they fall into a temptation. They they get trapped by the surface. And they're trapped. And they do many foolish and harmful things that plunge men into ruin and destruction. But you, man of God, hear this charge, hear this force. Flee from all of this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. I charge you, keep this command until the day the Lord returns. Do you hear how powerful that is? That you and I, even if we are focusing on the cross, we get stuck by the surface. We get this little yeast of the Pharisees that balloons up in our lives and makes us feel important because we've done so well. Or we get into certain crowds and say, well, look at my job title, or look at my car, or look at my clothes. And you need somebody to come in and go, That's air! We're not talking about air here. We're talking about weight. 
the weight of the glory of God. Remember, that's what we're about. That's all we're about. Are you stuck on the surface? Which little yeast is eating up part of your life? The yeast of Herod, self-pleasure. Gosh, I was just thinking about this this week when I went out to the high school. I just saw all these high school kids and I just thought how attractive it is, how big it seems to, to be the person on campus, to be the big party goer, to be the person who's got everything. And it just, it just sucks people in. And it's just air. Do you have that little yeast working in your soul? Or do you have the yeast of the Pharisee? I'm doing right, Paul. God's going to be pleased because of what I've done. God's never going to be pleased at what you've done until you understand what He's done. Do you take time to focus in on the cross every day? Do you have somebody who can look you write in the soul and say, we're about the glory of God here. Let's pray together. Lord, um, I'm just so convicted that I'm a thick-headed disciple. I would have been just like these guys to see this miraculous thing and then... Just focus in on myself. I'm so concerned that these people have the same problems. Some of them need to hear, Lord, from You. Beware. Don't you see this is eating your soul alive? And if it just keeps expanding, you're going to be nothing? Some, some people here need to get out of the trap of busyness long enough so they could see the cross. Some people here desperately need someone to tell them the truth and look them in the eye and say, you're just a bunch of hot air. Come, be a part of the eternal weight of glory. Give, give substance to your life and value and meaning. You, you know all of the needs and thoughts. Come, Lord, and minister to these people. Lord, as, as we come and think about these things and, and collect an offering... Gosh, I just don't want it to be in anyone's heart that any gift has any meaning in terms of their salvation. That's just not about that. But I pray that you take what is given and spread out into this community the weight of your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.